Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Welcome back Your dreams were your ticket out Welcome back To that same old place that you laughed about Welcome to Health and Safety Conversations Here's your host, Tom Bourne Hi and welcome to Health and Safety Conversations. I'm your host Tom Bourne and with me today is the amazing Clive Lloyd and the equally awesome Brad Green. Gentlemen, how are we? Really well, Tom. How are you doing, mate? Yeah, fairly well, fairly well. I am doing fantastic today. Good, good, good. Clive, it's been a while. It's been almost nine months, ten months. What have you been up to in the last, I don't know, nine, ten months? More of the same, really, and that is touring around the countryside, rolling out the Care Factor program here and overseas, and then sometimes in this very room virtually, and recruiting for staff because it's getting really, really busy and we, we need more people. So, mm. yeah, it's just been full on. And uh, what, what sort of people are you after? Anything in particular? Really good ones, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, that rules me out. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> no, far from it. You're the goat, apparently. You're the goat. I've seen that on, on the LinkedIn profile. It's it's interesting, though. Like some of the people we've been recruiting for are logistics people just to help keep our people on the road. But it's really challenging for us because our people, first up, they have to have a background in psychology, ideally psychologists. They need to know safety really, really well and leadership. They need to be fantastic facilitators and they need to be prepared to travel their butts off. So you put all those together and it really sort of narrows the field. But, yeah, we're, we're, we're getting some really good applicants, which is great. Excellent. And uh, young Brad, it seems like yesterday we spoke, but uh, it wasn't. It was about yep. a m- month or two months ago. How Sound have you flash. been? I have been doing fantastic. Same thing, just going out, visiting our sites, trying to figure out how work is actually done, spending time learning my new role within my organization and, and getting a feel 
for what is to be and meeting all the good people that gets the work done each and every day, which is what I enjoy most doing. Excellent. Excellent. We're going to have a free-flowing conversation, but I just want to get the one bit I did structure out of the way. Before we went on air, I asked just to write down on a piece of paper your definition of safety. Yeah. The reason I wanted you to write it down is so that whoever speaks first does not influence the next person. Okay. I'll go first. I'll show you my my, my lovely piece of paper is here, and I'll, I'll read it to you. It's very simple. Safety to me is the feeling of being protected from danger or risk. Okay. Who wants to go next? I'm, I'm happy to go. And I got what a thing to do, Tom. All right. As before we even start recording, before the coffee has really gone in, because it's still fairly early here, you hit us with that. Anyway, I'm a simple man. I've written something down here. I'll read it <laughs> to you. And my, my simple response is working well and reliably and doing that consistently with the full collaboration of the workforce. Fantastic. That, that you're, you're up, Brad. Yeah, yeah. what what Clive said. <laughs> and you've got that written down, right, Brad? You've got that written yeah, down. Yeah, right, exactly Brad? written yeah. it down. Yeah. No, no. I, I believe that, that, the, that the, pra- the practice of safety requires in, embracing the concept of acceptable risk as a goal. Good. I believe Good. that safety professionals assist in managing risk to an acceptable level within the context of the business. Cool. So it's ever flowing regardless of, of where you go. And for me, it, that's a very complex question. We talked about this before, but as you know, there's no mutual agreement on what safety is globally, locally, and organizationally, which yeah. creates a lot of conflict within an organization if there's multiple definitions of what safety is. So you mentioned earlier that we, you wrote it down because there was going to be no influence, but I have to let you know that, and you know that I'm a, I'm a big follower of Mr. Clive. So he, he's already had a lot of influence on me before I even wrote it down. So, so yeah. Good. The reason, the reason (laughs) it is a great, go ahead. Sorry, Tom. The reason I actually brought that up was because to me, it seems fairly fundamental that if we're going to talk about safety, we're going to talk about being safe, we're going to be safety professionals, we're going to be working in the safety field, that we all have the, maybe a similar idea of what actually safety is, that that seems to be the cornerstone. Yeah. And if Safety means different things to different people because of their perspectives, background, experiences, etc. How on earth are we ever, ever going to be able to measure what actual safety is? Yeah. It's a great point, mate. And clearly, not everybody does agree on what safety actually is. Hence, you get many different approaches. For, for some people, being safe means you have a 97-page JSA, or it's about people absolutely complying and following procedures to the letter all of the time. And other people, it's about collaborative relationships and so forth. So I think it's really important to understand, well, how do we view safety? Because that will steer what we do whether we we go with the compliance mindset and just producing lots and lots and lots of stuff for safety, having lots of safety people, lots of procedures versus having, you know, just really working out 
relationships with people so that we can hear from the workforce and how to do. So I, I think it's a brilliant question. How do we frame safety? Because how we frame it largely is going to guide, influence what we end up doing about safety. Yeah, of course. And, and if you if you define it as the absence of harm, then or perfection, then you're going to approach things a little bit differently if you define it in another manner. You're going to strive for that. And and of course, perfectionist goals do not set people up for success. Rather, they set them up for failure. Yeah. yeah. Do you think that um, people's perceptions of safety are, are different in different parts of the world, like developing and developed countries? Yeah, I do. And I've got some pretty good evidence for that. And that I have worked in, in many places around the world. You know, you, whether you call it developed versus underdeveloped or mature versus image, again, different angles, right? And there are many reasons why different countries take different approaches. Some of them are down to finances, some of the resources available, the, the, the culture of a given country. When I first went to China to work, my first day there was going to a pre-start meeting. And it's, it's still extraordinary for me to think back, but the pre-start meeting was 200 people standing to attention for 20 minutes while their managers actually spoke at them essentially for 20 minutes. At the end of the 20 minutes, they saluted and it was off to work. You know, so there's no there's no discussion of anything. There's no questions asked. And I think the assumption was, you know, safety for us is we will tell you right now what you're going to do. You will do it. That's our expectation. And then, you know, that's it. Now, that wouldn't wash in Australia, right? Yeah. <laughs> Nobody's going to go to a pre-start and stand to attention or salute at the end of it. it it's a very different thing. Again, the, the power distance ratio has been well documented in, in the safety field. And again, some the power distance ratio actually changes from nation to nation. A lot of work in the Philippines where the last thing anybody would ever do is question management. Mm. You know, it's, it's just not done and so forth. So, yeah, absolutely different, different perspectives on safety. And look, frankly, life in general influences all of this stuff from nation to nation, yeah. I'm not saying anything's right by that. In, in our Western nations in Australia, I don't think we, we got safety right at all. I, I think we've got a view that tends to drive certain things that are possibly not helpful. But yeah, to, to answer your original question, it differs greatly in, in different parts of the world. I think it different parts of the world, but what I have noticed is even within an organization, big organization, especially one that has a retributive approach, but you know, when we talk about globally, of course, you know, there's going to be various views of, of what safety is and how we obtain what we're trying to get at, right? But I find it troubling where we look at safety differently within an organization. And that is what I'm mostly focused on is, is looking at how do we get people to understand how do we get to the location in which we we're, we're trying to get to and, and, and really try to emphasize the humanization of, of people, you know, of the safety profession until we can humanize the safety profession. I do not believe that we will progress much 
past to where we are today. We must shift how organizations view our workers. And just, sorry about just like you, just like you had mentioned that people are not, does not feel safe to speak up because they feel that they're going to be made fun of, humiliated, chastised, fired. And, and that is an organization that is an organization, of course, that I don't want to be a part of and something that I'm totally against. Yeah, and I know that of you through your approach, Brad. It's just interesting there that you mentioned, you know, aligning safety within an organisation, let alone culture. Have I got time, Tom, to give you a bit of an yeah, example? Yeah, go right? for it. Please yep. do. So a global company I'm working with, they, they've got operations in, in many countries and we're looking at, at running the Care Factor program through these. And it was really interesting because in their one area in Europe, very, very heavily into behavior-based safety, fairly traditional behavior-based safety. They, I think part of it is the what we call the sunk cost effect, yeah? They, they've spent yep. millions rolling out behavior-based safety programs. Hasn't really done any good, but it's like, well, we spent all this money on it. We need to keep the behavior-based approach. This <laughs> is not uncommon, right? So they keep shoveling money into it. However, in their United States operation, they've moved to towards what, what we might call a, if you like, a, a new view approach, a, a safety differently approach. And so I'm speaking to the heads. I'm doing a webinar speaking to the heads of these organizations. Same organization, right? But they've got very, very different views on how they want to progress it. And so for me, the, uh, the conversation turned to go, let's not get hung up here on the model whether it's behavior-based safety or safety differently. And if I, if you permit me just to expand on this, there's really good reason not to do that. It's quite dangerous sometimes to actually get attached to the model as the right model. And if I can go back to my clinical psychology days, this is the best way I can describe it. Psychologists, just like safety people, we've got all these models available to us, right, that we can use with clients and so forth. You know, back to the old Freudian psychoanalytic approaches, behaviorism, you know, still there, cognitive therapy, ACT, all these different models. Now, a long time ago now, when I was studying, brilliant lecture, one of the best lectures I've been to, the professor actually said, right, these are all the models, right? And he said, your homework, and the homework assignment is to study them, which we do do. And it's really interesting. And so when you come back, though, to the next lecture, we're going to just break off into small groups. And I want you to discuss which is your favorite model and why that is the case. So we've all done the groundwork. We're back in the room, small groups, four or five students within, I've got a, no kidding here, within five, 10 minutes, it was getting really heated, right? <laughs> why this is the best, this is the model you should use. This is the model I use. And and within 15 minutes, it was like LinkedIn on a bad day. It was like you know, <laughs> just waiting for the biff. And anyway, the lecturer quite <laughs> strategically, I think, yeah, he let us go. He let us go for it. Then he pulled us up and he said, right, let's have a look. Let's have a look at what actually the research tells us. What does the evidence actually tell us? And he said, the model that we use in terms of what predicts success comes way down the list to the point of insignificance. What is right at the top of the list in terms of what predicts success is what we call the therapeutic alliance. Now, all we mean here by the therapeutic alliance is, of course, the relationship, the trust between these people doing the work. What he's saying is it doesn't matter 
what model you use if you have not first created that relationship, that mutual trust. If you have done that, then you can become, the word we use is eclectic. Most psychologists are eclectic practitioners. We draw from all manner of different models, depending on the client needs, where they're up to. Now, when you've created that relationship, you can do that. And if that whatever you do is likely to gain traction. Here's my point. If we have not created that alliance, it doesn't matter what you use. If it's hop, doesn't matter. If it's safety differently, or even God forbid behaviorism, it doesn't matter. And so my point would be, let's, for me at least, it doesn't bode well for us or our clients or our people if we're just sticking with one model because we believe it's the right one. If you have not first created that alliance, and that's the hard work, by the way, it's easy to do hop, I reckon. Uh, Hop's got five principles. They're easy to talk about. Please don't make the mistake of thinking that is easy to do. If you have not created the trusting alliance, hop's not going to make any sense to people at least the people on the receiving end. So what am I saying? First and foremost, create the relationship, create the alliance, and then be eclectic. Use what's going to be useful for the people. Sorry to go on a bit there, Tom, but I think it's an important point. No, it's great. great. Any thoughts, Brett? No, I, I you know, I, I believe he, he, he nailed it on the head. And again, if you don't build that trusting relationship, no matter what we do, there, everything's going to be, felt you know as if we're telling people what to do you've got to really build that trusting relationship in order to and and also just like our workers do each and every day we have to adapt to the conditions and the circumstances and the location and the people that we're around to be able to be successful and and i would say our workers are probably more successful than we are but 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 that's that adapt adaptation and and again just to echo what he said is I don't believe there's just one singular approach. There's no, they're all a little bit too linear. You've got to be able to use a transdisciplinary approach and, and understand and, and really try to humanize the workforce. And, and when you humanize the workforce and when you allow people to help with the decisions it, it creates this foundation of trust. It allow you know, you they feel as if you trust them. And then you have this mutual buy-in, this mutual responsibility. And I think, you know, that's what the Care Factor program is, is so, I think, powerful is because it gives you three attributes that, that are so easily understood. You know, the, the, the integrity, the ability, and, and, and benevolence. Of course, give it to Clyde to use the big word. But if you have those three, th those three factors, you know, you can develop trust. And as as Clive quoted in his book, or, or to paraphrase phrase Meatloaf, you know, two of the three ain't bad. <laughs> However, when it comes to creating trust, it is not enough. So it, you you can be, you can have the ability, you can have benevolence. But if you don't have integrity, you're not going to have trust. So, you know, the attributes that we have that we all can and learn it is foundational in order to create any successful program, regardless of what you use. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Go ahead, Tom. I just want to take it back a little bit, but difference about perspectives and safety. 
may have given this a bit of thought in all my spare time. Is people's perceptions on safety just a construct that they've made in in their own mind? I think so. Don't get me wrong; they they haven't necessarily created it from scratch. I'm sure they've been they've been influenced. But safety is a construct, right? Mm. And that's why we define it in very different ways. My construct of safety is in or has been influenced by my own experiences, mm. by people that I. And of course, we're very biased with that. I tend to be influenced by people who agree with me, right? (laughs) (laughs) I tend tend to be less influenced by, uh, you know, people who are, but again, it's a construct that that has developed over time. Mm. And again, that's why we're in danger of just viewing safety as one narrow construct. We will tend to keep going back to, you know, what we believe based on our experiences, based on our influences. But I I mentioned before too, Tom, and I, I, you know, don't get too fixated on a model, sure, but it would be denial to suggest that we don't have our favourite models. Mm. I do. Mm. Most people do. And it, that's absolutely fine. I tend to favour the more humanistic approaches in psychology and equally the more humanistic approaches in safety. So that would lend themselves more to say, yeah, sure, hop or, or safety differently. But again, only because, not because I've read Decker or Conklin, only because they tend to actually mirror the research in, in psychology. Because what essentially, what are those concepts about? They're about bringing people in, collaborating with the workforce rather than telling That's the reason I like them. So they lend themselves more to creating what Brad's just been talking about, creating trust. Try creating trust through radical behaviorism right it's it's not going to happen what i will say though is is there's some dangers here with hop and and safety differently i remember speaking with the the wonderful stephen harvey who rolled out essentially a safety differently program at queensland urban utilities it was made a big video by sydney decker this huge big thing but i remember stephen saying six months into that rollout they were struggling and they were struggling because he realised what they didn't do first was to create that alliance with the workforce. Mm-hmm. And so what they're doing is they come straight in with, with safety differently and hop-type principles, and the workforce are thinking, hang on, you, you reckon you want us to run the show now after you've been telling us what to do and punishing it for us for the last 20 years? You know what I mean? It's all right to say, we're going to roll out hop or safety differently. It's just not going to happen. There will be unintended consequences of doing that unless you first overcome that mistrust. So again, construct plays, the workforce have a construct around safety Mm. and that is formed over time. Leaders have a construct and where those constructs do this, well, that's where we get challenges, right? In my view. Yeah. No, I think that's that's totally true. You know, you got to overcome the mistrust first and, and that takes time. And I think that is one aspect that most organizations struggle with the most you cannot change a culture overnight. You can't just flip a light switch. You can't just say, I'm going to do this tomorrow. It, it takes a lot of time, especially, I mean, in organizations, in a very complex organizations, of course, humans are very complex. And, and that is one struggle that I believe a lot of organizations struggle with is the fact that they want to see change right now not develop a plan and then develop a a a smart objective in order to get there they want it right now and unfortunately that's not how 
behaviors and people work because we, we have all shaped ourselves over the years based on our past experiences. And if we don't first trust what they're doing, there's always going to be this sense of what, what are they doing? You know, what is this about? Right. Why, why are they taking this approach now? Yeah. I, you just mentioned something there, but sort of over the years, Brad, I've learned the hard way, by the way. And that is given the nature of what we've been doing for the last 20 years, organizations will often phone us up and their immediate request is, so how long is it going to take, Clive? What do you mean? Well, to take, <laughs> to change our culture, you know, say from depending which, which variable or which objectives you're looking at, you know, from a level two to a level four, how long? And <laughs> I kind of these days shrug my shoulders and say, I don't know, you know, 10 years. And again, what I mean by that is organisations don't have one culture. They just don't. No organisation has. They've got many cultures. I would argue every single team, to a degree, has its own culture. And I, I honestly believe, and this sounds terribly pessimistic, forgive me, but to, to, to look at trying to change the culture, an organisational culture, is doomed from the start. And that's because yep. first up, you don't have one. The culture is too big, too unwieldy. How the hell do you define it anyway? And what I've learned is most organizations give it a crack, realize it, it's way too hard and it's just not going to happen anyway. Then they give up and that they just default back to the quick and easy. Let's go back to the stick and carrot approach. And, all that. and what I've learned, what can happen relatively quickly is one leader, can set up the conditions within their team where collaboration, trust, psychological safety can thrive. One leader, often one conversation at a time with one team. That can happen. Now, if you've got lots of your leaders doing that because they want to and they know how to and they're given permission to do so, that's when you can almost the byproduct of that is the the whole, the overall organisation starts to, to sort of tweak. But I, I honestly, I believe the best way to look at culture change is forget about culture and just look at one leader setting up the conditions with their own team where psychological safety can thrive, trust. That is doable. And that is actually doable relatively quickly. But it's not easy. And that's where I do fall out a bit with this quick fix, hop or safety differently. Quick, just roll that. Pro that'll fix everything. No, it won't. Same as behaviorism didn't fix everything. Uh, none of that's actually going to work unless you put the work in first. Now, why don't more people do it? Because it's bloody hard. <laughs> it, 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 we have to do stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. No, that's right. Success is a journey, not a designation. And we want to go to the designation first. Unfortunately, you can't go from point A to point Z without going through all the other letters of the alphabet. We, we can't, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a journey. And we, we must, you know, do it that way very methodically. And again, putting a timeline on something is, is delusional at, at, at the least. <laughs> I still <laughs> get know, asked at, that question a lot. How long? How long? No, I, I, I hear that too. And, and I, I don't know, right? It, it, it's too complex. And, and I, I would echo your words about, there's no really reason to talk about culture because as you mentioned, there's so many cultures within an organization that it would be almost impossible to even define what it is. What, what I find 
intriguing is when I was looking for my, my last position, I was had the luxury to have eight months off, which is when I found, uh, found Mr. Clive. And, and I, when I re when I was doing interviews with a lot of organizations, I would always ask to talk to an employee and I always ask them, well, what are your company's objectives? What are your company's values? And 99% of the, 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 of those questions, no one could tell me one of the values, not one. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. That's really that's, common. Yep. And that is, that, that is where it, it's supposed to start, hmm. right? Is, yeah. is setting up the values. And, and I've only you know, seen one company do it really good. I've only seen one company, you know, really preach and really talk about their values each and every day. And they lived and breathed yeah. their values. Yeah. Mate, you've, um, the whole values thing. And again, I'm sounding pessimistic this morning. Maybe it's, I haven't had enough <laughs> coffee, Tom, but not enough coffee. Um, it's almost to the point where I wish most organizations, Brad, based on what you were just saying there, wouldn't have values. And I, I only say that because almost invariably, the values they've got, and it's easy to find out, right? You just look on their website, usually top right <laughs> or bottom left, or the posters on the wall. These are the yeah. values. Now, of course, in, in, in org psych, we talk about those two different sort of approaches to values, the espoused values and the in-use values. So in other words, the espoused values are the ones on the website, they're the ones on the posters, they're the ones we say we operate from. Then there's the in-use values that you've just been talking about, Brad. Yeah, you know, what do we actually see from leaders and so forth on a day-to-day -day basis? Almost invariably, sorry to be pessimistic, those values don't actually match up. And again, if we're talking here about building trust and things like that, nothing says cynicism more than when an organisation says our value is integrity um, or safety is number one, not uncommon, but then we act in very different ways. Now, those values are doing more harm than good. On those relatively few cases where the organisations actually do live their values, well, there's an opportunity to create trust. And, and people see, the, the workforce see that management mean what they say. But those are such rare events that it's almost to the point of thinking, well, don't have any. Because invariably, sorry, I'm rattling on a bit here. There's a company called us in. They wanted help with that. They were redesigning their values. And they said, Clive, will you come in and help us? Sure, I say. And uh, I listened to them talk in their management meeting for about 20 minutes. And I said, okay, so it sounds like one of your key values is shareholder return. And they said, we can't have that as a value. <laughs> what will people think of us? And I said, but that seems to be your key focus. At least if that's put as a value, people know what they're signing up for, right? I'm not. It's not a bad thing, but if people know that, no, 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 we can't have that. Let's have integrity instead. Mm. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> All right. It definitely Sorry. does create an illusion that that we are under control. But as we all know, illusions are not reality. And, and does not, and, and different values have different trade-offs and different trade-offs depending on the circumstances in which you're in, which you mentioned safety first, which is, as we all know, not, not, not something that's totally not true. <laughs> 
you know, it, it is, it is, it, it creates an illusion that safety and health is being managed, but we know staying in business is always priority number one. And because the risk is our risk our work, our workplace is inherently risky. And, and that's just a fact. Mm. Yeah. And simply saying that safety is number one or safety is my number one priority. Our, our people, our, our workforce are not naive. They're not stupid. <laughs> and if, if you say safety is my number one priority, but this pump or this building over here is not working and it hasn't been working for years and it's creating spills or it's creating injuries and you're not doing anything about it. It creates a really big conflict, right? <laughs> yeah, you bet. All right. Speaking of control, is there any place in modern workplaces, and I'm thinking about any type of workplaces, for sort of command and control structures that we used to see in behavior-based safety where you did what you're told and you get what you get and don't question us because we know best? You go, you go first this time, Brad. I don't know what the question was. I believe the carrot and stick approach <laughs> is, has been retired. And <laughs> I, I don't believe that that type of approach is sustainable in the long run. Don't get me wrong. It will create short-term improvements. Yeah. But it will also create a lot of distrust. Yeah. Interesting question, Tom. And Look, I'm trying to be charitable here and, and think, you know, where where that sort of command control might be useful. All right. So I reckon it might be certainly useful in things like jail and <laughs> possibly the, the armed forces, right? The armed yeah. forces, it's particularly in conflict situations. Yeah. I think there probably are times, even in organisations where there's a crisis. Yes. I believe that's when leaders maybe need to assume a certain degree of, you know, control. Again, not for the reasons that historically they've done that, which is we just want a workforce that does it as they're told. If we're going to adopt that, I believe it would be for a specific reason. That is, we are in a crisis situation. I need to, at least for a while, become quite directive to say, right, what we need to do right now is this, this, and this. If I stay in that position, or if that's my just my leadership style, as it were, I'm with Brad. I, I just don't see a, a place for... If, it's, if command control leadership is not dead it's definitely covering up blood all right it's on the way out i think most people recognize that there's um there's no long-term gain there good 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 all right something I just, I, i've had a bit of a think about do you think perhaps we can become too reliant on being directed in how to look after our own safety you go you go again brad that's a di another difficult question. I believe that we have a mutual responsibility and I believe that we must ensure that, that we have practices and, and, and pr activities in place that allows and creates a culture where people are able and feel free to speak up. I, I believe that simply telling someone that it's okay to speak up is not a very wise and, and very logical way of, of giving them that, that, that ability. 
I don't remember there was a phrase in Clive's book about this, and it, it comes back to saying, hey, organizations are very good at shifting the responsibility on to the worker. So it, therefore, if I give you the responsibility of you must, you shall stop work when it becomes unsafe, mm -hmm. I've now shifted the responsibility onto the worker. I believe that creates conflict. And not only that, people view things differently. And things change so quickly that what was safe then may not be safe after the fact, right? It, it's sort of like after an incident. We, we often attribute that to an unsafe behavior. Well, people don't mean or don't choose to make mistakes, right? They made that decision based on what they thought was good at that given time, or otherwise they wouldn't have made it. But in retrospect, looking back, of course it's obvious. I should have said something, or I should have done this, or I should have done that. But I, but again, I, I think that uh, we all have a mutual responsibility to to understand our our accountability and and to do what is necessary. But people view things through a different lens, and there are a lot of psychological aspects to do that that go along with why people may not stop work or may not say something, especially when you're in front of a large group of people. Hmm. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Yeah. Yeah. Can I, I, just, yeah. Can I just say, yeah. I, I think I, I, for me, I, I, I picture, I've been to Southeast Asia a number of times, and I, I always marvel at their intersections where there is virtually there's no road rules, there's no, well, very little road rules, there's very little signage or traffic lights, and you have a massive number of mopeds, scooters, some have got three, four people on them and that, and they seem to navigate their way through these intersections without yeah. harm. Yet yeah. in lovely Australia, where we've got the traffic lights and that, we still have people which collide <laughs> head on or, you know, and I, I just wonder sometimes if we... We've taken away the thought process even about safety. Yeah. Look, you're full of interesting questions today, Tom. It is an interesting. I think there's always a tension. 
there is always a tension because there is a need to provide people with you know, procedures on how to do a job well and safely. If for no other reason, there's a legal reason to do that. And if there's an incident and uh, we're taken to court and we didn't provide that, well, you know, we're in trouble. So if for no other reason, there's a, there's a good legal reason to have to have things like that in place. Do we, can we overdo it? Totally. Example from yesterday morning, I was working with a client and I walked into the bathroom. Written on a piece of gaffer tape with a felt pen was the person, you're looking at the person responsible for your safety. You've seen them a million times, right? Mm. So first up, that was written in pen on a piece of gaff tape. And I thought, at least if you're going to put a sign up, make it a good one. <laughs> Underneath that is a 10-point plan on how to wash your hands. <laughs> right? And I'm thinking, come on, man, I'm not a kid. Another classic example, I was working, this is many years ago now, but I was working for another consultancy. They brought me in as a sub. And they give me this pack, right, this this safety pack to take on the road. And that is when you sort of fly, make sure you've got this and make sure you've got this. When you get your hire car, this was the one that killed me, here's a tyre gauge. We want you to check the, the pressure of each tyre, check each indicator light. And frankly, I did none of that. And none of the other facilitators who worked for that company ever did that. And again, it's the whole parent-child thing, right? I'm, I'm, a, I'm a grown man. I'm not stupid. I've been doing this sort of work forever. And that's where the tension is. It's how do we leak, meet our legal obligations, but also how do we make sure our workforce know how to do the job well and safely? What can they refer to to do that? And not go beyond that line and treat people like kids. And most places actually tend to go over that line a fair bit, I, I believe. Yeah. I, I remember a classic sign I've seen at one workplace, which is above the microwave, and it said, danger, ionising radiation in use. I mean, it's just like, are you serious? <laughs> what what, we're going to put our heads in there and press the buttons or something? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was, I was drinking a cup of hot tea the other day in my Yeti cup, and I burnt my tongue. And you know why I did it? Why, 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 why I burnt my tongue? Because the cup didn't say caution hot. <laughs> yeah, you need a new sticker, Brad. Need a sticker, <laughs> I Brad. do, I do. Yeah, but I, I think we we've over. If you look at a lot of workplaces, you know, we we create a lot of hollow rhetoric to create an illusion that we've got our crap yeah. under control. Yeah. The the but the problem is. If you look at a lot of workplaces, those signs are old, dirty, ratted out, and you know good and well no one looks at them. <laughs> and you know it 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 creates this illusion, and it's mostly for legal purposes. We put these warning signs on there because if we do it, we can now shift the responsibility onto the worker, onto the yeah. person that was injured. I put my it's, warning it's really signs up. Sorry, Brad, keep going. Yeah, yeah, I put my warning signs up. It, it, you know, they should have known that, right? And yeah, it's it goes way beyond the line. In many cases, a, a lot of people, as you mentioned, Brad, a lot of companies. Again, if I'm being charitable, 
they do this stuff with a positive intent, right? And yes, other times it's because we need to fulfill legal obligations. I was reading Decker's stuff a little while ago. His estimation, I'm not sure how much research was behind it, but his his estimation is that sort of around about 20% of this, this sort of stuff that we do is actually required by the regulator, about 20%. So what he's suggesting is, you know, about 80% of what we do, we've made up all by ourselves, right? And I suspect that's probably true, or at least in the ballpark. As Greg Smith points out sometimes, though, we've got to be a bit careful with it. We've got to find out what is actually required by legislation. But it's also good to know what isn't and so forth. But, oh, man, there is so much stuff done because we feel regulators do need it, but they actually don't. Even stuff like LTI rates. Mm. Almost every safety manager I've ever met believes that LTI rates, uh, recordables, are required by the regulator. They are not. And yet we're going to keep measuring, and I know we are. Not Not too many people are ready to give those away. But don't put it on the regulator, those guys. They don't even need it. Yeah, yeah. I do wish... I do wish that the TRR was coughing up blood like the carrot and the stick approach, though. <laughs> but, but unfortunately, I believe you're you're totally true. They they feel as if it's statistically valid and it actually means something, which we know it's 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 totally not. And there's tons yeah. of research out there that that will prove likewise. And yeah, you know, there's just there's no empirical evidence that that your TRR is an indicator of anything, which is why right. I don't use the word indicator around injury rates. Yeah. When I do have rates of some sort or numbers, I call them a dashboard. It's mm-hmm. just numbers. Yeah. Um, yeah. But there's Brad, a lot of good work on, on that out there. Yeah, Brad, it's a lot of people say, you know, oh, well, look, you know, all right, maybe they're not that valid, but, you know, they do no harm. I beg to differ. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is why. Often the TRIFA rate is used as a comparative measure, right? In other words, this contractor versus this contractor, this one is a higher TRIFA rate. Now, here in Australia, in the construction industries, you've got a big tier one looking at, you know, bringing on some subcontractors. One of Often one of the criteria they use to, to actually choose their subcontractors is that TRIFA rate. Mm-hmm. And in other words, we will tend to choose the subcontractors with the lower TRIFA rates. Now, again, as you mentioned, Brad, there is no evidence that the variation in that TRIFA rate predicts anything. Mm-hmm. In fact, I think you've got to have a, about 3 billion hours of work data available to you to, to have any difference at all. They're non-predictive as a comparative tool. And yet your tier yeah. ones are choosing the ones with the... Now, think about that. If you're a subcontractor, and you're actually pitching for a bunch of jobs with tier ones, what are you almost being incentivized to do here? Well, well you're you, don't want a, you don't our, want a reporting our, culture. You don't want a reporting culture. You're, you're, you're going to create a distortion under reporting, various devil, you know, just the opposite of what safety actually is. Yeah. Right. And, and uh, it's and not I, harmless. No, that, that is true. And, and and we talk about harm anyway, and and we know that you can't measure harm; it is unmeasurable, because there's a lot of things that we do in our workplace that cause harm that we cannot measure. And yeah. and 
you know, psychologically harm, psychological harm, even the simple stress for it may be, but there are tons of things in a workplace that causes harm that is unmeasurable. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Could I, could I just say, uh, yeah, I'm with you, Clive. It, it does cause harm because it, to me, it, there's a two, there's a two factor thing involved and I hadn't even thought about the contractor part. The first thing is it creates an illusion of safety. And that creates complacency because we we believe everything's beautiful. And, and it's really a throwaway figure. We give those in upper management to reassure them so that they can sleep well in their beds at night. So I, I think that's a danger in itself. But the other thing with it is, you know, if we stop measuring useless activity or meaningless activity, what are we going to do with our time? I mean, seriously, we might have to do some real work and talk to people and, you know, make the place actually yeah. genuinely safer instead of recording rubbish statistics that are meaningless, you know, perhaps. I was, yeah, I was out at the site the other day. Well, not at my site, but at a previous company. And when I, I could care less about the number, I see the person. I, I don't look at a number. I see the person and I was went to one of my regional sites and I went to go see the location in which where the incident happened to talk to the person to make sure that, you know, how they were doing, making sure that they, they felt all right, but also to, to kind of, you know, talk to the employees about, you know, how they felt about the event and, and simply get their input before I started trying to fix the problem. And I, I'd asked one of the employees and I said, well, what do you think about this? And he goes, you know, I've been thinking about this all weekend, trying to figure out a different way that we could approach this. Think about that. An employee, shop floor employee, was there trying to solve the problem. And that's what our employees do is they solve problems. Yeah. Our biggest assets are our employees. They're already on our payroll. If we can just simply go out and have conversations with our employees, they can they 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 can shed so much light on on the workforce. Yeah. And you're right. We would have a lot more time going out, having having conversations about risk, changing perceptions of what safety is. And learning how work is done in current circumstances, we must realize that just like our day-to-day -day operations, work is never done the exact same way every, every day. There are various situations and various adaptations that must take place throughout our workforce, for our own work life, our own life, in order to be, quote-unquote, successful whatever that definition is. And, and I think that that is where a lot of organizations need to improve upon is, is yeah. to get their workforce involved because they're already brainstorming the solution and they also know what the solutions that have been tried before that didn't work. Yeah. And I take my hat off to you, Brad, because I know this is your approach. I know, you take every opportunity you can to get out there. 
and learn from the crews and build that trust and build that collaboration. I feel for many people in their safety roles who I think would, would, would like to do that. I think they see what exactly what you're talking about, Brad. They see the the worth of being out there in the field, engaging in, you know, that humble inquiry approach. And yet they end up kind of stuck back in the office, exactly what Tom's saying here. <laughs> I can't do that because I've got all these all these numbers to crunch and all these take five cards to file away and things. <laughs> Let's not go there yeah, and take for us. <laughs> I know that's a hot button for you, Tom, uh, but, <laughs> for, for many, but you're, you're right. And I, and I think it takes, you know, that visible felt leadership being visible is not enough. Right. And, and that's, and I've even seen companies where they set quotas that you shall be in the, you shall be in the on site X amount of times. Yeah. Well, what is the byproduct of that? What does that mean? And we've all heard of the word Gimba, but it's going to where the work is actually happening, mm. having conversations with the employees, trying to figure out what struggles that may, they may be having, what issues are, are happening that day. Nothing is, is linear. Things are changing all the time. And, and our employees will naturally adapt to create efficiencies and also to complete the job. And that's what we get paid. That's what they get paid to do. And unfortunately, when, when something, when nothing goes wrong, we think that everybody followed the procedure as, as written, but that's farthest from the truth. All right. Can I just ask a cup, a, a, a double, double header. There's a couple of things that just worry me at the moment the first one is I'll, I'll just spit them out together rather than back and forth and, th and then you guys can run with it if you like first one is psychological safety uh, my concern is that we're getting a hell of a lot of people putting their fingers in their pie about managing psychological safety in the workplace who have no psychologist or psychological background education etc that worries me to start with and I don't think it's the realm of most safety advisors to make judgment calls on uh, it. And the, the second one is mental health first aid. My lovely wife recently did a course and she's all thrilled about it. But to be speaking to lovely Alyssa Lynch from Ireland, yeah. and she, she, she quite put it into perspective when she said, they're a signpost. That's all they are. That they basically identify people who are struggling and point them in the right direction. My concern is that mental health first aid is being used as a band-aid over sort of toxic conditions. You know, we're ticking the box to say we've done something. Okay, I'm going to leave it up to you guys where you go with that. All right. I'll, I might hop in first here, Brad. First up, the, the whole thing, psychological safety. I wish they'd called it something else because it is increasingly, increasingly now being confused with psychological health and safety. They're completely different things. There's, there's overlap, but they're very different things. Psychological health and safety is what the, the current or the recent legislation that's been all about here in Australia. You know, looking for psychosocial risks and managing them, that is not psychological safety. That is psychological health. So I want to distinguish the two first up. Psychological safety, I tend to simplify 
uh, and think about it really as trust experienced at the team level. It's a team construct, not an individual construct. And really, that's all it is. Often Amy Edmondson and others have, have tried to stress that psychological safety is not just another word for trust. It kind of is. <laughs> I think the differences have been overblown. Psychological safety is essentially trust. At the, all that means is at a team level, we are comfortable to share our thoughts, feelings, emotions, conflict, conflict, share ideas, admit mistakes. That is different to psychological health and safety, which is all about psychosocial risks, manage them, identifying them, particularly as there's legislation around them now too. So I just wanted to point that difference out. Uh, creating psychological safety in this definition does not require you know to, you to be a psychologist or even have a background in psychology. What it really means is you're a bloody good leader who understands how to create trust amongst your team. That's all that means. Good. The second one, yeah, the, the mental health first aid. Look, mixed feelings. I think it's always good if we can encourage people to feel safe to speak up or work about any of those concerns. And if they believe there's a safe place to go at work, maybe because they just know that guy's done the mental health, maybe that could be a good thing. But hopefully we've got people they feel safe to go to anyway. There are some concerns I do have is that sometimes these people can be seen as de facto counsellors or de facto psychologists. They are not. And there is a danger that we could overstep the mark. I, I don't necessarily agree with Dom Cooper a great deal because Dom and I see things like behaviorism a bit differently, but I noticed a comment he made on LinkedIn. Mental health first aid is a profit-making thing. We've, you know, they put people through their training courses. They're not cheap, by the way. I know because Tanya, my partner, went through one a, a while ago. It's a good idea. It's got pros and cons. Please, though, don't imagine just because some of your people have been through mental health first aid that you now somehow have a counseling team on your site, you most assuredly do not. You at best potentially have some safe places for people to go if they're feeling psychologically vulnerable. That potentially is is a good thing. No, I, I again, I think Clive nailed it to the to the head. I I, I agree. I think psychological safety is a, is a cousin or just another word for for trust. It's having mutual respect for one another, being able to speak up without fear of retribution. I think there's a lot of misconceptions about what psychological safety is. Now, we talk about psychological safety and health. I will leave that up to, to, to Clive, which he already talked about, because that's not really my, my realm of expertise. However, I, I can tell you that when psychological safety does not exist it can create a lot of psychological harm sure when people do not feel valued when they're undermined it can create or facilitate a lot of psychological hazards within the workplace i you know we give that responsibility on to someone at health, safety, security, environmental, quality, you name it. And adding some with the expectation that we're going to manage that as well is dangerous because yeah. we don't even have enough time to do the job we have to done today. But again, yeah. like I 
that, and I agree with 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 Clive here is is really it's about building trust. It's about having an environment where people are willing to speak up without fear of retribution. Again, just like when I talk to my employees, they come to me and they'll tell me things because they know one that I'll do something about it, and number two that that I'll embrace it and that I won't let them. I won't spread the word that, you know, that they, they're the one that told me. So when you go out and, and go out into the workforce and, and someone will say, Brad, come here, I want to show you something. They're taking on some personal risk. I need help doing this. I need you to show me how to do this because I didn't quite understand it. You know, whether it be like a tag out, confined space or whatever, they're, they trust me. Because they wouldn't ask me if they didn't, because they, they they're taking that interpersonal risk. So that that is what it's all about. If you cannot have psychological safety in the workforce, then then forget about anyone ever speaking up or asking for assistance. Yeah. Yeah. I really like the point you made there, Brad, earlier. And then it's a lack of psychological safety is actually a pretty strong predictor of future psychosocial harm. Mm. You know, mental health injuries, psychological injuries, because people just won't bring that stuff up. I, I, that's a really important point. Thanks for making that. Well, I, I've been in, in some toxic workforces, and I have seen people go through some some pretty horrific things from a psychological perspective. And, and this is very passionate for me, and this is the reason why I, I study a lot of psychology is because – my my family has a background of of some psychological issues and there's such a stigma to mental health and it just it, it just drives me up the wall as if the person wished it upon themselves mm-hmm. yeah. yeah 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 and and it and it and it's so sad that people can't even speak about it and I'm glad that people are more and more open to speak about it. But when when people are already suffering from mental health, a mental health condition that that are that is controlled, and then you put them into a toxic work environment, it just escalates the problem and it just you know expediates the the problem and makes it worse. One of the things that I, I often tell my boss, I, I tell them that there's a few things that you cannot do to me, right? When I first when I first get hired on, don't ever tell me to come to your office without telling me what you want, <laughs> because I know it. That's a that's a that is a that is a pressure point for me. I automatically think the worst. And there's a few others, but I think it's important for us to take interpersonal risk as well. Yeah. What are the triggers that are going to make you have anxiety about the future? So I make it a point to always make sure that, that I take it from that lens and say, I, I want people to feel at ease. And and again, I, I, I take that interpersonal risk and in saying, you know, this stuff bothers me. 
And when, when you tell me to come to your office and you don't tell me why, my mind, the way I think, is always negatively. That's just how my mind is wired. And we, we've got to treat people as humans. And we're naturally curious. And it's gonna, we're going to either think one or two things. People, some people, the world. But yeah. some people overanalyze things. And I'm, I'm being one. And, and so those are the things that really, really bother me. And so I, I make sure to make that a point. And I ask my people yeah. that work for me, what are the triggers? What are your triggers? I want you to be as safe as possible so that I don't do things on to you that I'm not knowledgeable of. So I do have a, a lot of history and a lot of knowledge within the psychosocial in real life, hazards in real life. So I, I'm, I'm pretty sensitive to this subject when we expect people that have no knowledge of, yeah. of this and expect them to, to do something about it. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I, because of my background, I read people's minds. I can, you know, I don't read people's minds, but I, I can tell based on their disposition, based on how they're acting, that something's not quite right. Yeah. And it's simply because I've been there, because I've had the knowledge and I've been through it personally. But not everybody has that that, that understanding. They don't have that knowledge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or even necessarily the one to actually assist. Not it's everybody true. has that either. So, it's yeah, true. it's good on you, yep. All right. I've got a question here that's probably pokes the bear a bit. And uh, it's probably more aimed, <laughs> probably more aimed your way, Brad, right. than uh, Clive's. But Clive, you can have your input as well. Please do. All right. I saw it on LinkedIn. Lovely LinkedIn. The, the source of all truths in my world, anyhow. I saw this morning... <laughs> From a highly respected uh, gentleman, he posted an article, a link to an article, which says 30% of all mass shootings in the US occur at either the workplace or are workplace related. I might have put a comment up saying, so what you're saying is that 70% have got nothing to do with the workplace or, or things that happen at work. We don't actually have many mass shootings workplace related or not here brad why do you think so many what do you think a significant number of workplace mass or mass shootings happen in the workplace in the u.s i would be negligent if i tried to just to attribute a cause however i have personally been in a workplace where this happened there was a, a double homicide and a suicide. And so I, I cannot, with, with the respect from all those that have lost their lives, have, have the ability to comment and try to even try to understand the struggles. Because I, I, I've, I've lived through it. I was in a six-hour standoff and, and when I worked at an organization. The why 
is is those toxic work environments that we dehumanize people that we treat people less than human that is 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 one factor that will create a work environment where people feel that they feel more empowered and feel more safe but for me to talk about this and, and you know it, it would be would not be would not benefit me <laughs> yeah, fair, enough, fair enough you know respect respectfully so yeah. it, it's just a topic that it's it's too it's it's sort of like bbs it's 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 too uh, creates too much unknowns and 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 i don't want to I'm, I'm not an expert in this area and and this is such a hot topic right now and i know it is and i, I think clive from a psychological standpoint is probably more in depth to understanding this from a holistic standpoint <laughs> Than I could ever be. Sure, <laughs> maybe I, I'm not sure. It's it's a big one, mate. Jeez, Tommy, you've really thrown at us today. And there are so many variables here. And unfortunately, some of them cannot be unhitched from politics, mm. and that's a bit of a sad fact. So maybe I can talk more about the Australian perspective on this. Yeah, you're right. We don't have that, and there's a few reasons for that. That's not to say that we don't have people in toxic workplaces who get pushed over the edge, right? Mm. And Brad alleged that's the, the psychosocial harm is so great, the, the culture is so toxic, people are prepared to come back in and they want some sort of payback. They want some sort of, they're so hurt or whatever that is. Now, I'm here in Australia, I, I've actually had workplaces where somebody's walked in and yelled and screamed right across the office, you know, and yelled screams and, and named people and all that sort of stuff. That happens. That's another indicator too. The difference here is they don't have guns. Mm. That's that's I, I think that's actually correct. If if they're not as available, there's no option for that sort of thing. But uh, yeah, each country to their own. I mean, yeah, seriously, Absolutely. it's not for us to it's not for us to preach to anyone. No, no. And I, what I would like to say is is for all those families that have suffered, and and not only that, my my wife worked at a school had a mass shooting that were many lives were lost and, and teachers lives were lost and and the struggles that and the unanswered questions that they'll never have mm. and and that is why this is how i view safety that's why i try to humanize safety so much because it is people these are people's lives regardless of why how or who they will never walk this earth again and so my deepest condolences to anyone that has ever lost their life due to these type of acts or any type of work-related event that is something that we never want to deal with and that is all that absolutely is true man. for me what i drive yeah and, and that is what drives me each and every day All right, gentlemen, I'm going to leave it up to you guys. Do you have anything else that you'd like to have a chat today? Because I'm running out of air, oxygen, you know, I'm just... Yeah, yeah. I mean, let me just say first up, mate, we had no agenda 
all right, for this conversation, at least that I'm aware of. No. And uh, we've been going now, what have we been doing? Best part of an hour and a half. Jeez. That's pretty good going, mate. <laughs> it's like you, you invited a couple of talkers on. And, uh, uh, yeah. yeah, well done. That, uh, well done, Brad. That was, you wanted free flowing. I think that's, that happened. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah I, I, I do appreciate you guys and, you know, I, I struggle to find the appropriate adjectives or words to describe my views of, of Clive. He has become a, a great friend of mine and a mentor of mine, and he has made himself available to me with questions that that has helped me grow into a, a more delightful, better leader. You know, he, he continues to... to, to speak out against common myths and strategies and that's to continue to circulate that cause more harm than good. But I would like to take this time to, to publicly thank Clive. And I've, you know, he and I have spent a lot of time behind the scenes talking about these subjects around psychological safety, building trust, caring, humanizing the workforce. And, and that's just, just him being, a humble human being and you can't ask for for much of a better person than that so and, and not to take away from you tom because you you <laughs> had us on here and and that's one of the reasons why you know i think you you probably felt that was a a good threesome if you will because you know that i endure clive so much and and the way he acts with with people with yeah. so much respect yeah, you, you are very, very kind. Thank you, Brad. By the way, <laughs> before I let you escape, so you really want to promote this? I think just use the word that Brad used: safety threesome. That's going to get some views. <laughs> <laughs> Brad, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Brad, I, I thank yeah. you. But can I just say, mate, it's a joy for me to to see leaders like you coming through. I just write about this stuff and and teach this stuff. You are actually out there doing it. All right, you're actually influencing the employees. To me, again, in short, what you're doing is humanizing safety. And I reckon that's that's that, that's an essential part of it. So, no, I take my hat off to you, sir. I always enjoy following your journey and speaking with you and seeing what you're doing out there because you are actually doing it. And again, Tom, thank you, mate. The goat, <laughs> who uh, apparently has threesomes on, on Zoom. So there you go. Oh, <laughs> by, by the way, Clive, we should ask why you're here. When's the next book come out? I've been asked that so many times. There's there's a couple of things. The the publishers, I think, would like me to do uh, a second edition of the first book, mm-hmm. uh, which I could easily do. A lot has happened since then. But uh, I'm thinking maybe a, another book, a new book, but it's still a way off yet. My, my calendar is just, it's just a time thing, right? Yeah. That could be me procrastinating, but at the moment we are just flat chat. Yeah. All right. No worries. Once again, thanks. Maybe we again. could call it. Yeah. Maybe on. we could call it. So- Safety threesomes. <laughs> let's, that's not. That's not. That's I, think, not. That's I not. think my publisher would probably go for that. Yeah. <laughs> my wife wouldn't. But yeah. anyway, we might leave yeah. it there, gentlemen. Thank you so much for your time today. I really. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. 
That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. I really do enjoy both of your company and your thoughts. So thanks again. And I look forward to speaking to you again soon. Right, thanks, Tom. Thank you, Brad. Get a good Thank sleep, you. mate. Thanks for listening to Health and Safety Conversations with Tom Bourne. Until next time, stay safe and enjoy the rest of your week.